0: If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. We repeated that in the psalm and we might wonder, how is that even possible? How can I leave church where I came in contact with the living Lord, where I heard his word? How can I leave that with a hard heart? And yet it's absolutely possible. For some of us, it might even be routine. It's so easy to check an external box without having an interior conversion, even at the Mass. Even for me, I can sit here and break open the Word, I can say beautiful things about how good God is, I can go to that altar, I can hold the living God, the King of the universe, in my hands, and yet my heart can be unconverted. And that's what scripture often refers to as having a hard heart. A hard heart is one that cannot be moved by God. It's one that has, uh, maybe through some, some defense mechanisms, some built-in insecurities, maybe just being tired and not wanting to be open to God's grace, has become somewhat rigid. Unable to be moved. Not able to be penetrated by the love of God. And in so doing, it becomes liable to be broken. Right? Because a a living heart, a beating heart, can love, can adapt, can be hurt, but can recover. Whereas a hard heart, a hard heart, just breaks. And so we don't want to ever... uh, Uh, give that heart to anybody, much less to the Lord, because we're scared that it's going to break, that he's not going to take good care of it. And so how can we approach the Lord with a different kind of heart, with one that is not hard and lifeless, rigid and set in its ways, convinced of its own goodness and not allowing God the space for conversion? And how do we instead have that living, beating, loving heart that God can work with, that God can do something incredible with? Well, it takes faith. Right? What is it that, that softens our hearts toward one another? It's faith. Right? It is my belief in your goodness that allows me to trust you. When I want to build a relationship with you, what I need desperately is faith, to be able to take you at your word. I mean, I would have zero relationships if I didn't have some kind of natural level of faith toward the people in my life. If I asked you, how are you doing? You said, good. And I said, I doubt it. Show me proof. We wouldn't be well on our way to a relationship. If any time I meet someone new, I say, hey, what's your name? And they say, Mike. And I say, give me proof of that. I need to see your birth certificate. Well, I'm, I'm looking for some kind of an external proof right off the bat. Instead of taking something on faith and allowing my certainty to grow alongside that faith. Well, that's how we have to treat the eternal truths of our Lord as well. Our heart is never going to soften toward Him until we start believing in Him. Believing in Him in the sense of believing in His goodness and the fact that He's not out to get me. Instead, He, he, he has as His purpose my own flourishing. My sanctification, my eternal glory is what he wants. And so I might be able to trust him just a little bit more and a little bit more. But of course, we might still say, all right, fine. So I need to have more faith. How, though? How can I have that that heart-softening agent of faith poured into me? How can I have more of it? Well, we get a hint in today's gospel. You see, the apostles, it's beautiful. They are in the same boat as we are so often. We might think, oh, prayer is so hard. I don't know how to do it. I'm probably the only person in history that struggled with that. And then we read that the apostles themselves said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. We might think, oh, I'm the only one who's ever struggled with faith. It seems like everybody else here gets it. But for me, I have these doubts. I don't understand a lot of it. I find it difficult to trust God. And you might think you're alone in that. But you're not because the apostles themselves who journeyed with Jesus ask him, Lord, increase our faith. And what's interesting is instead of saying, "Okay, do these four things, he invites them to reflect. What is faith? Basically, what he asks them to think of is what does it look like for you to have true and genuine faith? Because faith is not just external devotions. It's not just I dot my I's and I cross my T's, I check the box of going to church, I say this particular prayer, I wear this scapular or this thing. All of those are beautiful signs of our faith, but the faith itself is this radical trust in Jesus Christ. It is to say I trust God and take him at his word more than I trust anything else that I experience day to day. And it'd be a good exercise this week to think of all the things that I take on faith. That my uh, doctor is capable of giving me proper advice and proper treatment. I take that on faith very often. That uh, the, the vehicle that I'm driving is going to take me to the destination. If you're traveling through plane, whoo, there's a lot of faith that goes into that. That, that, all, that the plane was constructed properly. That the pilot has sufficient training. A whole bunch of things that we take on faith in order to live our lives. And we might ask our Lord whether we have that kind of a radical faith in him. That even those aspects of the faith that are a little cloudy, a little murky for us, that we can say, God, I trust you with this. I don't get it completely, but I'm going to try to understand it more. And in the meantime, I'm going to take you at your word on it. So we can ask ourselves, do I have that radical trust in the Lord that says, yeah, I, I trust you more than anything else, more than anyone else. But we still haven't answered. How do we grow in our faith? Well, here, perhaps the most beautiful hint the Lord gives us is in his illustration that follows that line about how if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. To have that that bold confidence in the Lord to be able to make bold prayers. After that, his illustration shows us actually where We find our faith. He says, Who among you would say to your servant who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here immediately and take your place at table? Would he not rather say to him, prepare something for me to eat? Put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink? You may eat and drink when I am finished. And here the Lord makes a couple points. First, he's saying, Where do we come off demanding things of God who has already given all to us? But it goes deeper than that. Because once we get that, once we realize how things work... That, that God is God and we are not, and that where we are often presumptuous toward the Lord and expect things from Him as if He were meant to be our servant, we realize, no, 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 actually, He's already given everything to us. And so I should come to Him with awe and gratitude rather than making demands. This God, who is not absolutely speaking my servant, has decided to serve me.
1: Because what does He
0: say to all of you he says, you've had a tough week. You've worked a lot. right? Whether it was at your place of work or at home, you, you are carrying so many burdens from so many relationships, so many things that you're worrying about. You've been out there toiling. Come here and let me wait on you. Right? The most beautiful thing is we treat Mass so often as this obligation, as this thing that I have to do on top of everything else, when really it's the place where I get to rest from my toil and I get to receive the Lord. He comes to me and he says, "No, no, 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 here I serve you. I give you my very food, or I give you my very flesh as food, I, I give you my word so that you can hear a word of encouragement in it every single week. I give you my very body and my very blood. I give you access to this sacrifice. I give you my blessing at the end. And we're here to receive. And in receiving, that's where our faith grows. Our faith grows by being exercised, and it's exercised in the most beautiful way here at the Mass. And here at the Mass, we very often, we think we're not getting anything out of it. If maybe we were distracted. Or if it was this priest or that priest or this deacon or that deacon. Or if uh, the music was this way or the temperature in the church was uh, not to my liking. Or if I happened to be sitting by somebody who was distracting me the whole time. Whatever the case may be, realize that all of those things, they're important. I don't want to neglect them. But they're not as important as the fact that at every Mass, you get to offer God the gift of your presence. The gift of being able to say to Him, Lord, I'm a mess, but I'm your mess, and I'm here. If you have to swat away distractions for the entire hour of the Mass, if the entire time you're just saying, Lord, I want to be thinking about you, but my kid's going crazy right now, and those people in that pew, they're making me think of something else, and and your mind is just constantly being torn in this direction and that direction, but your heart is longing for God, that was a successful Mass. Because Mass is not just about all the externals, it's about your gift of presence, your offering of yourself. And some days that self is capable of being totally zoned in. And other days that self can barely string together three minutes of listening. But if you're sincerely striving, and you make that offering of yourself to God who offers himself to you, it's working. And your faith is able to increase and grow within you. And then what happens is that faith grows into love because you're receiving the very Spirit of God. At every single Mass, you have the opportunity to receive the Spirit of God, but it's up to you to be receptive to that Spirit. As I mentioned, all the externals, they can be going crazy. There could be chaos all around and you still receive that spirit of peace because you have made an offering of yourself and you're able to receive the offering of God. And what does that spirit do for us? Well, St. Paul, in his wonderful second letter to Timothy, he writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, in these words of a mentor to his mentee, of a father to his son. Where he says, my beloved, I remind you to stir into flame the gift of God that you have through the imposition of my hands. Stir into flame the gift of God that you have received. Now, Timothy received the Spirit of God. Who here has also received the Spirit of God? He has. Who else? Every single one of you, if you were baptized, you received the Spirit of God. If you've ever been at a Mass and received a blessing, you have potentially received the Spirit of God. In your baptism, your confirmation, any time that you receive anointing of the sick, there's also an imposition of hands. It's not just for the apostles and these famous figures in Scripture. It's for every single one of you. You've received the Spirit of God. Now how to stir it into flame, that gift of God? Well, it's by being aware of it, by trusting it, by saying, you know what? My faith tells me that God is with me right now. My faith tells me that God gave me an irrevocable gift of himself, of his spirit at my baptism. How do I live out of that?
1: How do I trust
0: that in the difficult moments? When we're aware of it, we're able to call upon that spirit of God. And it's at every mass That we become aware of it anew. That we're able to realize, wait, I'm filled with God and I can go out and live a little bit differently because of that. So what does that spirit look like? St. Paul continues, For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather of power and love and self-control. Power and love and self-control. It's interesting that those three are put together as the effects of the one same Spirit of God. That means there must be some connection among them, and indeed there is. Because there is no force more powerful on God's green earth and in fact in the whole universe as love. As that selfless gift of self to another. That is just the the most incredible thing, but it's something that nobody can take away from you. They can take away all the externals, but they can't take away your capacity to love another. And there's a power that is unleashed in that love, but how is that love expressed? self control. And there we often think, like, self-control and love? Father, you've never read a romance novel. You've never watched a, a movie. No, so, uh, r- love is expressed through these radical big actions. No, love is actually more often expressed in those tiny little acts of self-control. When you were about to just fly off the handle with your kid, and instead you were, you were going to shout at this decibel, you decided to shout at this decibel. Right? The shouting still came, but at least it was a little bit more charity. Because we can't, can't be perfect, right? But that self-control expressed in biting your tongue, when you have that word on the tip of it that's going to hurt the other one, is, as much as you've been hurt, you want to hurt them back, and then you realize, no, I, I don't want to. I, I really do love this person. And even though I could hurt them right now, I have, I have that, that, uh, that word right there in the chamber. It's about to be fired out. I'm going to bite my tongue, and I'm not going to say it because I love them. That self-control that is at the root of so much of the discipline that we practice for the sake of the people that we love. Love is expressed in self-control, and so we can think, where in my life can I grow in that? How how can I control some of uh, those impulses that I know hurt the people in my life? How can I control some of those impulses that hurt my relationship with God? How can I express my love for Him and have this true power by having power over my own self? By not being ruled by my passions, but having a certain level of control. How can I love the Lord and others that way? Well, it's rooted in faith. In that faith that is increased at every Mass. That faith that says the very Spirit of God is in you. And makes you capable of great things, even great acts of self-control. So weekly Mass, it's so beautiful to see you all here week in and week out, and I pray that it can be not just a box that we check, but something that changes something within us every single week, that changes our hardened hearts into soft hearts capable of being enlivened by the love of God. So that's weekly. But what can we do daily? Well, I'm glad you asked, because in the first reading, we read the beautiful, but maybe a little confusing, words of the prophet Habakkuk. He said, How long, O Lord? I cry for help, but you do not listen. I cry out to you, violence, but you do not intervene. Why do you let me see ruin? Why must I look at misery? We read that and we think, Oh my, he's, he's kind of letting God have it. I don't think you're allowed to talk to God that way. Right? Because you realize that God owes you nothing, so how can you be talking to him that way? How can he be talking to God that way? Because he believes that God is his father and not just a harsh taskmaster. His faith tells him that he's able to have a real, raw, and even passionate relationship with the Lord. He's able to let him in and how he's actually feeling. He doesn't have to have a pious coating on all of his words. Instead, he can let God into his heart As his heart truly is. And that's how we daily grow in faith. By expressing that faith and saying, God, I trust that I can talk to you exactly as I'm feeling. I can tell you I don't have to just have the pious prayers that someone else wrote. Those are beautiful and those can stir my soul. But sometimes I just need to have a little venting session with God Almighty. And I need to tell him all of that hot gossip that I want to tell to everybody else, but I realize, nope, 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 that's not the right place for it. I'm going to talk to God about how this person aggravates me, about how this person and this and that and this other thing. And you know what? If you release all of that in your prayer, you end up deepening your faith. You don't have to go and spread it everywhere else because you've already told the most important person. So this week we grow in our faith. How? How? By having that daily honest and raw prayer, by having that check-in every single day with the Lord, what is the state of my heart today? Is it hardened to you and to other people, or are you softening it through this relationship? Are you making it a living heart? The only way that it gets life in it is if it is in contact with the Lord of all life through daily prayer. And then if we prepare ourselves for that weekly Mass that we can make an offering of ourselves to God Almighty, then that faith is uh, not only deepened and not only does it grow, but then it flowers and blossoms into love. That love of which we are capable by the Spirit of God. That spirit of power and of love and of self-control. That self-control that shows those in our lives. That we love them and their needs more than us and our passing desires. And that love that will ultimately transform us into what God made us to be, saints forever in heaven.